Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The past few weeks have been a culture shock, no doubt. Difficult and very difficult for some, traumatic for others. We hear phrases like staying positive in the belief that this will not last, and it won't. We're reminded of the importance of looking after our mental health and looking after others. On a previous edition of the programme, you may remember Sister Bernadette Maria from the Convent of Mercy in Charleville urged us to gain inspiration from the likes of Anne Frank and Nelson Mandela, who, despite being on a lockdown of a more serious nature, remained mentally strong and positive. On this evening's edition of Where the Road Takes Me and on the following two Sundays, we bring you three different stories, all with the same theme, courage, survival and a resolve to see you through. Men and women blessed with ample spirit. Some of our stories make harrowing listening, but they all have positive outcomes, as adversity is broken down by means of the will to survive. One story tells of how romance blossomed in the most evil place on earth, not only blossomed, but survived for a lifetime afterwards. Good evening and welcome to Where the Road Takes Me. Program 1, Inspiration from the Past. Having never read any of their novels, I doubt if any Mills and Boone would stand up to this true tale of romance, the seeds of which grew in the most horrific place in the world. In December of 2003, New Zealand-born and Australian-based author Heather Morris was asked to transcribe a story she had never heard from a man she had never met. It took all of three difficult and harrowing years to do so. The end result? A world best-selling book. It's a love story set during the Holocaust in a circle of hell. Despite the distinct possibility of being shot and killed at random, being taken to the gas chambers, or dying from typhus, starvation and cold. Despite being separated, this couple married and lived a happy life in Melbourne, Australia for 58 years afterwards. The man, Lally Sokolov, informed Heather Morris that he required her to hurry with a story. Because he had no time to waste, his mind was made up to join his wife who had died a few years earlier as quickly as possible.
Lali Sokolov was born on October 28, 1916, in what is now Krompachi in Slovakia. He was always well-dressed, with plenty of girlfriends, a ladies' man, so to speak. In April of 1942, at the age of 22, he was part of the transport of Jewish prisoners to Auschwitz, a complex of over 40 concentration and extermination camps operated by Nazi Germany in occupied Poland during World War II. While there, he is given the privileged position of tattooer or tattooist, a job which entailed marking his fellow prisoners forever. One of them is a young woman called Gita Furman. At the very first glance, she has stolen his heart forever. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. We can stop at any time, okay? Okay. <clears throat> Good. Interview with Lou Sokolov, 21 February 2004. Would you tell me your name, please? My name is Lou Sokolov. Is that the name you were born with? No. I was born in Ludwig Eisenberg. What name are you known as? Lali. They called me Lali. Are you married, Lali? No, I was married. What was the name of your wife? Gita. Gita Sokolov. Where did you and Gita meet? Met in Auschwitz, Birkenau. And how did you meet? I was the tattooist, tattooer in Auschwitz, Birkenau. I tattooed her number on her left hand and she tattooed her number in my heart. I was 24 years of age when taken from my parents' home and transported like an animal to an unknown place. An excerpt from the very beginning of Heather Morris recording Lale Sokolov. Morris was the New York Times best-selling author and the winner of the Goodreads Choice Award for the best debut Goodreads author. She began by telling me how the story surfaced for her and how she was introduced to Lali Sokolov. It was a story that impacted not only on her, but on her family as well. Lali Sokolov had never spoken about his ordeal until his wife Gita had died. Well, I heard about it because I agreed to have a cup of coffee with a friend I hadn't seen for many months. And she just casually said to me, I have a friend whose mother has just died and his father has asked him to find somebody he can tell a story to. That person can't be Jewish. You're not Jewish. Do you want to meet him? And it was as casual as that. And I said, what's the story? And she said, I don't know. And I went, never mind. I'd like to meet him. And so I met Lali Sokolov a week later. 87 years of age and grieving the loss, the death of his wife of 60 years, Gita. How did you get on with him at that very first meeting? Because did it take some time for him to gain your trust and for you to feel comfortable working with him? Oh, absolutely. He just wanted to talk and he rambled. He couldn't tell a coherent story if he tried. It was all over the place. And I sat listening to him for a couple of hours and I worked out where he was coming from. And all I could say to him was, I've enjoyed your company. Can I come back and see you again and he said yes but you have to hurry up because I need to be with Gita and he's made it very clear that he was not going to stay in this world much longer. Thankfully our relationship did develop and it did build and that was helped by my taking him home. I said you need to know who I am and so come and meet my family and when I found him flirting with my 18 year old daughter I went hmm okay this man's coming out of it and he did. Talk to me about the background to Lale and Gita. Both Slovakians, Lale, nine years, uh-huh. Gita, senior. 
Yes. Yes, he was quite old um, in terms of the young people who were in Auschwitz-Birkenau the first time. I've done uh, another story about somebody else in uh, Auschwitz, also from Slovakia, and I've got another one coming about three sisters from there. And they were all in that 15, 16, 17 age group, so quite a bit younger. It's interesting, I've subsequently learned that for the most part, the Germans took girls from Slovakia, the first transport of thousands of people, were these young 15, 16, 17-year-old girls. And the thinking behind that was not only would they get them some labor for a while, but really what they were trying to do was cut off the breeding of Jewish people. Right. Now, Lully was caught up in it and, and other men. I think of his first transport, there were about 900 men, but the girls already there were in their thousands, were already in Auschwitz-Birkenau when he arrived. Auschwitz, often described as the most evil place on earth, was established in 1940 at first as a quarantine camp and intended for Polish political prisoners. The first gassing of prisoners at Auschwitz took place in August of 1941. From early 1942, freight trains carrying Jews from all over occupied Europe began delivering their human cargo to extermination camps in Poland, including Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen. Most were actually sent to the gas chambers on arrival. Yes, yeah, so you've got to consider too that Auschwitz was really two camps, Auschwitz I and Auschwitz II, or what I call Birkenau, what's known as Birkenau. It was part of Auschwitz one, a four kilometres down the road, and it was purpose-built. So Auschwitz as a camp was already there. It had been the Polish army barracks. So this pre-existing compound or camp already existed. What was needed was now a place to bring young Jewish people in there, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, in fact millions, and then subsequently build this compound camp and then in there put in the gas chambers and the crematoria. So that is Auschwitz. It's one huge, big compound, but it does have this four-kilometre gap between the two parts. Yes, it was the biggest in terms of the sheer numbers that went through and, and of course, the 1.3 million who were murdered there that we know of. There was a sign over the camp gate in Auschwitz in German, but in English it read, work sets you free. And that would be hilarious, except for how serious it was. Arbeit make frei, yes. Work will set you free. How ironic that uh, they would have this over the top, as you say, and then only to then kill every person that entered, as many as they could. With regard to the SS officers who were there, which ones would people know about? I suppose Dr. Mengele, of course, and uh, the camp commandant then, Rudolf Hoss, was it? I mean, he was... Hess, yeah. Hess, yeah. Yes, Rudolf Hess. And he was actually raised a Catholic, I believe. Yeah, he's an oddball, that one. I've read quite a bit about him, including these journals, uh, for want of a better word, that he wrote while he was imprisoned prior to being executed. You know, he was the only SS person who was taken back to Auschwitz and executed there on the spot. The other um, SS who were sentenced to death, they were executed in the prisons where they were. He was taken to Auschwitz and hung. But um, the people like Schwarzhuber and Beretsky, who I talk about, uh, Kramer, he's another one who's quite well known. Um, Yeah, Hess, of course, because he ran the shop. I was actually going to ask you about uh, Beretsky because I suppose he was the same age as Lally and it was the closest that Lally got to any officer there. But you still got to bear in mind that this guy would just kill you for fun. Absolutely. You know, Lally described him to me as an uneducated oaf. He said, I got his number the first time I met him and I knew that if I just played it right, I could manipulate him and he could work for me in a sense. So it was a case of the educated, the smart and the worldly Lully having as a guard this person who was uneducated 
and easily manipulated. He found out what he wanted to hear and he told him. We had lots of conversations about his relationship with him, which many of them are in the book, but there's many, many more that aren't. And yeah, it's complicated because he needed him and so he used him. Now, Beretsky was a really, really bad guy. When you consider that he was also charged with war crimes and he was just a, a run-of-the-mill, or what we would call in Australia, um, a grunt, that, which is a lowly officer. Well, he wasn't even an officer. And not many of the ordinary soldiers in the SS had war crimes and trials. He was so bad that he did. January 27th has been set aside as International Holocaust Remembrance Day. It commemorates a tragedy of the Second World War carried out by the Nazis and their collaborators, which claimed the lives of 6 million Jews and 11 million others. The Commemoration Day was designated by the United Nations General Assembly in November of 2005. One of the keynote speakers has been filmmaker Steven Spielberg, one of whose movies was Schindler's List. Their determined demand is that we engage fully with history, that the Holocaust remain with us in memory. Theirs were journeys into the Holocaust. They cannot emerge from it, and neither can the world until there are no more genocides, until the unthinkable becomes impossible. Once you entered this camp, you had to make decisions. Were you going to give up or were you going to believe that one day you would leave it? If you decided on the latter, yeah. there was a lot required of you, obviously. Mm-hmm. Particularly when you look at the age of the people and you look at the first people to go in there, which was in March and April 1942, and they were the young boys and girls from Slovakia. So many of them, in terms of not huge numbers, but many of them were still there nearly three years later and were sent out on death camps and they survived those two and three quarter years. How did they do it? Well, if you could get through the whole illness thing and overcome the typhus and all the different illnesses that went with being in those circumstances of deprivation of food and warmth and water, all of that, you survived your health. Then it was a matter of just being savvy, I'm told. And also the one word every single survivor I've met, and I've met hundreds, have used is the word, I was just lucky. And they put it down to luck. Having some sort of talent, I presume, would be a help, of course. And that was the first step in the right direction for Lale. This was a job, mm. being a tattooist, that the SS placed a lot of emphasis on. But you could be replaced quite easily. Well, yes and no. The way Lully described it to me, whenever the SS gave somebody a job which was called a prominent job, and being the tattooist was a prominent job, that meant there was one person identified as running that. The prominence also was of the poor men who were the Sonder Commando who worked putting the prisoners into the, forcing them into the gas chambers and then putting the dead bodies into the, the crematoria. There were specialists all around the camp because the SS were having the prisoners run the camp. So if you're doing a good job, then they were not keen to have you disappear unless you, you know, overstepped the line too much. Now, Lully was doing a good job. 
He was quick, he was efficient, he knew how to show somebody else how to help him. And he said if Gretzky had killed him, he said he could have, but he probably would have faced some backlash. Inspiration from the past, Programme 1 of 3, people who challenged adversity and won their battle. Programme 1, a romance that blossomed in the most unlikely of places and survived a lifetime. A prime example of love conquering war and evil. And it continues right here on C103 after the break. Inspiration from the past, and this evening the first of three programmes on that subject on Where the Road Takes Me, right here on C103. Well, a recent contributor to the programme suggested that we get inspiration and a will to win from past events. Our three stories over the next three weeks centre around people who met adversity head-on. They all had the will to survive. Programme 2, for instance, Irish rebels who secretly turned the tables on their captors, enabling them to be well prepared for battle again. Programme 3, really the story of a nine-year-old boy who survived appalling cruelty. But it's also the story of three brave and wonderful women. Although two survived, one did not, and it was in death that this lady suffered her greatest indignity. Despite that, her legacy does not lack inspiration. But this evening in Programme 1, a story about a romance that blossomed in the unlikely setting of Auschwitz. Despite all the odds, this couple managed to salvage their romance from the rubble of evil and make it last for a lifetime. Three long, arduous and emotionally draining years, Australian-based and New York Times best-selling author Heather Morris sat with Lali Sokolov. His story was difficult to unravel. He had only decided to tell it after his wife Gita had died. He was, as he told Heather Morris, in a hurry to join her. During World War II and in his mid-twenties, he was old compared to other Jewish prisoners brought to Auschwitz. But he was smart. His cunning brought him the important job of tattooer or tattooist at Auschwitz. The job brought a few meagre benefits. Tattooing women prisoners for the first time brought him in contact with Gita. Although with her head shaven, her clothes dirty, and her face sunken from malnutrition, he could still see her beauty, and she stole his heart. For most of their time in Auschwitz, Gita refused to tell Lally her surname, believing that they both would not survive long enough for any relationship to flourish. But Lally was strong-willed and an optimist, he was also, as we would say ourselves, a bit of a boyo when it came to the ladies. Larry was a self-described playboy prior to going into Auschwitz. That was what he was. He had the good job. He had the fine clothes. He always looked immaculate. He said, I was a playboy. I had many, many girlfriends. And that's what made it all the more incredible that this man who sought out the company of so many women, young and girls, now could uh, hold the hand of this young girl who, dressed in rags and a head shave and unbathed, would look him in the eye and bang, that was it. He was gone. Talk to me about the survival system that he ran, getting medicine and food, not just for himself, but for those who needed it most. It was a very, very risky business, and he almost paid for it with his life. He did. Once again, black markets were rife. I just talk about his because I had him and he could tell me about his. But I've met other people once again whose parents, who's mostly men, uh, were also running black markets in there. There were people from the villages nearby who came in there to work every day. And I say this is one of the things that surprised me the most. 
everything he told me was to learn that mostly men, but sometimes the uh, young women, came into that camp Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and worked a job, and then went home knowing what was going on there. So they became the targets for the the prisoners who could get access to gems and money and, and jewellery that were being smuggled to them and black markets, uh, they were rife. It's, a lot of people did get caught and they were subsequently killed. You had to be smart. While he was running his, he got caught. We do not know and we cannot find out why he was not killed. We have the document showing him being arrested in Birkenau, taken to the penal unit in um, Auschwitz, being kept there for the six weeks that he was beaten and interrogated. And then 90% of people at that point were just taken to the little block of land right next door to the penal unit, or little section, put against the black wall and killed. For some reason, he got put on a truck and sent back to Birkenau. Don't know. But we do have the record showing his being arrested and taken there and, and then released. And on that record, it's on a sheet of paper with about 30 names on it. And um, there's about 10 of them had the, the, the initials, I think it's B-A-W. And when we had that interpreted, what does that mean? That, that meant that they had been released, but the other 20 plus uh, hadn't, they had died either during interrogation or were killed. And the guy who roughed him up or who beat him up was actually a friend of his. Well, he was somebody he'd already met and um, had helped out, you know, Jacob. Uh, I, I researched into him and I thought about writing his story, but his story is quite a tragic one. Yes, he really existed and there's lots of uh, evidence about him and testimonies about him. And he's both praised and pillared by people for what he did. And for every person who accused him of collaborating and, and beating and killing fellow Jews, about 10 would step forward and say he did what he had to do. He saved more lives doing what he did. So even when he survived and made it back to the States, married there and then subsequently went to live in Israel, I think twice they charged him in Israel as having been a collaborator. But both times the charges fell through because more people stepped forward and spoke for him, not against him. Anyone who came to Auschwitz had the odds against survival heavily stacked against them. There were the gas chambers, where prisoners were sent initially with a false promise of getting a well-earned shower. There were the executions for minor discretions, or being shot, just for the fun of it, at the whim of any SS guard. There were those who took their own lives. There was hunger and disease such as typhus. Both Lally and Gita contracted typhus. Luckily, Lally was smart as usual and did black market deals for medicine. Together, with help from others, they both survived, but in Gita's case, only just. Yes, at, at different times. Yeah. Lally's just, he got over his and he managed to get through his okay. Gita was not the same. She was really struggling. And I had her talking on a two-hour videotape that she made for Steven Spielberg's Shower Foundation. And she talks about uh, how she was told by the girls during the block she was with how close to death she came and it wasn't for the medicine that, that Lally was able to get her. Now, we don't really know what that medicine was, but he got her something from Victor and uh, she, she did rally. So whatever it was, who knows? It was a mixture of help as well, because on one hand, it was a case of every man or woman for himself or herself. But on the other hand, lots and lots and lots of these prisoners would not have survived without the help of their comrades. Oh, absolutely. You, you needed to have people who had your back. And for the most part, they did. But there were many instances of other fellow prisoners also turning on, on prisoners as well. And in some ways, you can understand that if, if it's a choice of you or somebody else, often 
uh, people were given up when they didn't do anything or they were given up just with what they may have been doing something, having extra bread, have stolen something. But yes, you did need someone and I'm just going to briefly give a little example of that and my publishers may not be happy because it's about my next uh, book. But it's three sisters who were in there, three young girls. I've spent quite a bit of time with the the youngest one. She's now actually 94. She's in Israel. And I go there and see her. Now, she was taken there the same day as Gita. She and her sister came from the same town as Gita. They were on the same train. They went to Auschwitz. They remembered Lully as having tattooed them. Now, these two girls, they both survived and taken on a death march along with their other sister nearly three years later. One of them, the youngest... Her memories um, are somewhat vague, even though she was there with her older sister at the same time. She said she existed in a zombie state. Her older sister, she was 19, she was the observant one. And she unfortunately has died only a couple of years ago, but the 96-year-old sister still alive. And I have had read to me the testimony of this older sister. Her recollections and memory is just fantastic. And yet the, the one that's still alive, if she was only 15... She said it was just her sister kept her going. There are so many sub-stories to this one story about Lali Sokolov, the tattooist of Auschwitz. For instance, the story of Silke, a friend of Gita's. Silke was chosen for her beauty by a high-ranking SS officer and abused for his sexual pleasure for almost her entire incarceration at the camp. Refusal at any time meant she would be shot. When liberation came, Silke was unlucky again. Auschwitz was liberated by the Russians and Bergen-Belsen by the British. What happened to Silke afterwards is simply unbelievable and harrowing. Her story has resulted in a follow-up book by Heather Morris. She was sentenced to 15 years. 15, and she actually served 10. She was a 16-year-old girl. 16 years and one month old when she went was taken. Again, a Slovakian Jewish girl taken in um, April. And yes, and then have to be charged with prostituting herself to the enemy. It was the charge. And so, yes, put in a Siberian gulag, way up in the Arctic Circle, the coldest goddamn place on Earth. And there she survived for 10 years. But that's ridiculous. Well, that's one word. I've got a few more choice words that I use, but I won't on air. I have written her story now, Silka's Journey. And uh, yes, it tells of her time, both in Auschwitz, but predominantly in that gulag and what her 10 years there. But like Lali and Gita's story, we've got a happy ending. This young girl survived 10 years in the Arctic Circle and uh, got back to Slovakia and she also met a man in that gulag, in that prison, who she then spent the next 40 plus years with. I've sat in the very apartment in Kosciuszko in Slovakia where they lived for 40 years and spoken to her neighbours and friends and uh, got to know the story of Suka, mm. even though Lali had told me a lot about it anyway. That's a really Good. distressing story. I mean, the end is very distressing, as well as what happened in between. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I want to find somebody and, and blame them and say, how could you? And can I say that was part of the guilt that Lully felt in surviving? And every survivor I met had survivor guilt to some degree, uh, some a lot, some, some less. And to him, how he would shake his head and his eyes would water as he said, there was nothing we could do to save her. There was nothing. We, when we found out what had happened to her and we couldn't stop it. We couldn't help her. He felt so bad about that. She was, he said, the bravest person he ever met. So, to recap, 
for being sexually abused by an SS officer from the age of 16 while at Auschwitz. When liberated by the Russians, they charged her with collaborating with the enemy. She was sentenced to 15 years at the Gulag in Siberia. Anybody would struggle to believe it, but when you consider the track record of those who charged her, it was hardly surprising. Here is a short piece from the audiobook by Heather Morris, entitled Silke's Journey. The man who is not one of her captors and is so healthy. His clear eyes, his full cheeks, his fair hair protruding from beneath his cap. Where are you from, Silke Klein? Memories of her old life have faded, become blurred. At some point it became too painful to remember that her former life with her family in Bardeov existed. I'm from Czechoslovakia, she says in a broken voice. Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camp, February 1945. Silke has been sitting in the block as close as she can get to the one stove that provides heat. She knows she has already drawn attention. The other able-bodied women, her friends included, were forcibly marched out of the camp by the SS weeks ago. The remaining prisoners are skeletal, diseased, or they are children. And then there is Silke. They were all meant to be shot, but in their haste to get away themselves, the Nazis abandoned them all to fate. The soldiers have been joined by other officials, counterintelligence agents, Silke's heard, though she's not sure what that means, to manage a situation the average soldier has no training for. The Soviet agency is tasked with keeping law and order, particularly as it relates to any threat to the Soviet state. Their role, she's been told by the soldiers, is to question every prisoner, to determine their status as it relates to their imprisonment, in particular if they collaborated or worked with the Nazis. The retreating German army are considered enemies of the state of the Soviet Union, and anyone who could be connected to them is, by default, an enemy of the Soviet Union. A soldier enters the block. One of them does eventually smile at her, and speaks in a gentle voice. Would you tell us your name? Cecilia Klein. How long have you been here? I came here on the 23rd of April in 1942, just after I turned 16. The agent pauses, studies her. That was a long time ago. An eternity in here. What have you been doing here since April 1942? Staying alive. Yes, but how did you do that? You look like you haven't starved. Did you work? I worked at staying alive. The four men exchange looks. One of them picks up a piece of paper and pretends to read it before speaking. We have a report on you, Cecilia Klein. It says that you in fact stayed alive by prostituting yourself to the enemy. Silke says nothing, swallows hard. From the audiobook, Silke's Journey by Heather Morris. The inspirational story of the tattooist of Auschwitz continues in part three after the break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. It's part three of Where the Road Takes Me, program one of three over the next few weeks, entitled Inspiration from the Past. Stories of brave people who endured so much but still refused to give in to or be defeated by adversity. Program one this evening, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, a romance that began in this evil place but lasted for a lifetime. In other words, a happy or Hollywood ending designed to inspire. many survivors of concentration camps, the good life did not begin after liberation. Many, on returning to their homes, found them already occupied, sometimes by neighbours who threatened to call the police if they refused to go away. It wasn't until after Gita had died that Lally decided he should tell his story. But as we will hear from the lady who spent three years dictating his story, Heather Morris, sometimes family members were not too understanding. As mentioned previously, Gita refused to give any details about herself to Lally during their initial romance at Auschwitz. She didn't want him to know much about her at all. Told him very little about her family, who she was, where she was from. I'll tell you a funny little story. When I'd written, I wrote this book initially as a screenplay because that's how I, I was, had done some learning and how to write. And I had a draft of it all bound up and I wrapped it up and I gave it to Lully for his birthday. And we were sitting in his apartment and he and I and his son, their son, man in his mid to late 40s then. And Lully opens it, he's looking at the screenplay. Then his son takes it out of his hands and said, here, let me read, I want to see it. And he starts reading it while Lully and I are chatting away. And then he turns to me and he says, oh, look, there's something in here, a scene you have to take out. I cannot have anything in my parents' story that's not true. And I went, okay, I accept that. Show me the scene. He showed me the scene. 
I started reading it. I gave it to Lally and I said, Lally, read this. Lally starts reading it and his head goes down. And I said, Lally, is it true? And he shook his head, yes. And I said, Lally, do you want me to take it out? And he said, no. But at that point, his son stood up and smacked him over the head and just looked at him, pointing, how could you? How could you sleep with my mother before you were married? He was reading a scene about his parents being intimate in a death camp. And to this man, it was all too much. And as he got off to go and find something stronger to drink, Lully just looked at him and went, you had to be there. Because so much of this is incredibly uh, impossible to comprehend. And this is the son of this couple. But the poor thing did have to learn so much about his parents' life through reading my story. Because like so many survivors, they did not talk to their children. Unless you wished to be killed, escape was not an option while at Auschwitz. The only ray of hope during their incarceration there was an American plane which flew overhead. But that was it. That was as good as it got. Eventually, liberation did come in the form of the Russians. But for Heather Morris, liberation was too praiseworthy a word to describe it. The interesting word liberate, from what I've been really able to understand and, and find out, they kind of just stumbled on them. They weren't looking for them. They, they stumbled upon the camp. But that's okay. They chased the Germans away, so we'll say thank you. And no, they did not treat them well at all, particularly any girl or any female. Their track record of so-called liberating not only the concentration camps, but the, the countries too, like Poland and Slovakia, that they went through. They did not leave a good track record behind them. I spoke to an elderly person in Slovakia, and she said um, they used the phrase that Back just before the, the Germans entered, entered into Slovakia, the Russians had come through. And then the Germans came through and chased the Russians away. And then she said the Russians came back. I preferred it when the Germans were here. That kind of summed it up for me and, yes, everything I've read. And, and then what they did to Silke. Lally then got an interesting job, if you could call it interesting, from, from the Russians and eventually escaped from them. He laughed when he had to tell me that. He said, um, I was a pimp. That was his word, not mine. <laughs> I had to be a pimp. And yes, securing these young girls or procuring these young girls to come and party with the Russian hierarchy in the, um, the castle or the chalet. We've been trying to identify it. I think we've got a rough idea. It was just outside of Vienna. And, um, but he said to me really clearly, and I believe him, that had he ever heard any of the girls being abused, at night time when they came to party with the Russians. He said, I would not have done it. He said, the girls came willingly and they had a party. He said, they were young and beautiful and all the Russian hierarchy that were there were old and slow. So what about the Hollywood ending that we promised you? Well, there are actually two. Lally and Gita were separated after their liberation. Lally returns for the final time to Slovakia in search of Gita. But before he finds her, there is another surprise awaiting him. But you know, there's one aspect of Lally's story uh, which when I think about it and when I was writing it that I struggled to write because it was so emotionally draining for me. And that was the simple little vignette of him finding his sister alive. And one of the reasons even now it's giving me goosebumps because I sat with that man when he told me that. 
and how absolutely emotionally wrought he was, even telling me about finding his sister 60 years after the fact uh, that one member of his family had survived. And yeah, look, he never went back to Slovakia so he, after he left there for, for reasons. He was too frightened to leave Australia. But he flew his sister out from Slovakia on many occasions to, over the years to see him. And it was her that said to him when he told her about Gita, you've got to find her. Now that Hollywood ending, listen folks, it really happened. I have Lali's version of it, but also I have Gita's because on her videotape, Gita tells they're finding each other through her recollection. And of course it's Lali saw, but just from the other end. And she talks about walking down the street with these two friends and one of them pointing out this horse with this little tiny cart on the back and this man standing on it and her saying, that's him. She said, I just walked out into the street in front of the horse. She also adds, which I think is quite lovely, that was the only time in my husband's life that he was speechless. They really did meet with him looking for her and her finding him. And a general question for you then, those who were lucky enough to survive and those who came back to their homeland, for instance, back to Slovakia, how likely were they to get their, their property back again? Oh, zero, zero, numbered, which is why so many of them then fled. Yeah. Like Lali and Gita, they all left the country. The, the, uh, these three young girls that um, uh, whose story you'll hear about in about uh, just over 12 months' time, as I say, Slovakia, and, and they ultimately you know, got back to Slovakia and after a while, they, yeah, we, we can't exist here. And um, yeah, as young girls, they became freedom fighters and went off to Palestine, a fight for, a, for the free land of Israel. Yeah, another interesting aspect of the prisoners from the, the Holocaust, the numbers of them that ultimately went to fight for Israel. Yes, not many. I mean, even Gita, when she, I mean, Suka, when she got back, she went to the, her home where she would had lived with her family. And I've been to that very house and stood outside the front of it too and touched the door that led up into the small little house in the middle of Bartajoff's little village. And uh, yes, she was uh, sent, sent away packing. And in fact, they apparently called the police on her because she tried to tell the people in the house to get out. According to filmmaker Steven Spielberg, the Holocaust must never be forgotten. He has done his part with his movie Schindler's List. And this was part of his speech at the United Nations Assembly during Commemoration Day. As far as I was concerned, in school, the textbooks had nothing about the Holocaust. There was a lot about World War II. There was a lot about Hitler. There was a lot about Japan. There was a lot about the Axis, but there was nothing about the Holocaust. Bystanding is almost the worst thing one can do. Or, 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 or falling, you know, falling in the black hole of one's despair, which creates inaction and allows us to look the other way when something that we could take action to stop from happening is happening right before our eyes. During your time with Lale, what emotions did you see in him? Anger, forgiveness, sadness, regret, trauma, or a mixture of all? A lot of pain and a lot of trauma. Trauma uh, that had been held in for so long. Because Gita wouldn't let him talk about it. 
on the subject. And so when he finally started talking to me after several months and got to know me, he ended up doing what they call in the mental health um, field. He transferred a lot of his pain and trauma over to me. And for a while there, I actually accepted that, not knowing that that was happening until it was pointed out to me that, um, yes, I was now the one suffering. But um, look, he was such an optimist in life. I said to him several times, well, I had to tell him the first day I met him when I realized that he was a Jewish man who'd survived the Holocaust. I said, before you, we go any further, I need you to know my mother's maiden name. Her name was Schwarzweger. And he looked at me and went, you're German. <laughs> and I went, no, I'm a New Zealander. And he said, oh, well, never mind. We can't choose our parents. And that was who he was. When I said to him, do you hate every German person? And he said, why should I hate every German person? He said, I just cannot understand how a whole country could be hypnotized by that silly little man. But that's it. That the past is the past. My final question to you is, and I think you've, you've answered it in, at various stages during the course of the interview, and how emotionally draining was it for you? Because coming up to the interview, I was researching and I came across a few photographs, one in particular where it showed prisoners being executed, shot in the back naked. So they weren't left eye with dignity. And I, f- I found it very distressing. So for you to spend some time, such an amount of time with somebody like Lale must have been very emotionally draining. Oh, yes, it is. It still is, because I'm still talking to, to survivors. It's a matter of my knowing, and this comes from the, the fact that I worked in the social work department of a big hospital. I should have known better that that was an acute hospital, different circumstances. But the pain and the trauma the survivors and their families now also uh, inherited, it's not my pain and it's not my trauma. I don't get to own it. I cannot help anybody who wants to talk to me and tell me of this time if I get caught up and I take on board. And so it's a matter of training myself to find strategies to, to, to deal with it. As I say, it's a different story that, that you'll hear about soon, but when you talk about that kind of trauma um, and pain that the people remember, the small things they remember from having survived all those years ago or decades ago, one of the things that these three young girls that uh, are now elderly women that absolutely still affects them terribly was their mother and grandfather got brought into Auschwitz a good two years, over two years later, and they saw them briefly as they were being led to the gas chamber. Now, that is horrible enough in itself, but what they have got in their heads and they cannot get rid of and never will is how embarrassed they feel that their mother and their grandfather, their mother's father, had to be naked in front of each other when they were put into the gas chamber. Not that they were killed, but that little aspect of how horrible it would have been for their grandfather to be with his 40-year-old daughter. Isn't it funny, the things that can really, really hit you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And they were they were led into these gas chambers in the belief that they were showering, wasn't it? Um, at that, initially, yes. At yeah. that stage, uh, there was there was no pretense any longer because they were killed in October '44. That's when the, their, their mother and grandfather came in October '44. So a good two two and a bit years later. By that point, as I say, the, the guards and the other prisoners here were telling them pretty much, "Yeah, you're going to die. No pretense any longer." And that's program one in a three-part series, inspiration from the past. Next week in program two. Ireland post-1916 rising. Irishmen are arrested on the street and in their home, some of whom have no idea about the Easter rising just past. 
Six months in Frongoch in Wales would change all of that and turn the tables on the British. They would now be ready and better prepared for the War of Independence a few years later. In the meantime, my thanks to Heather Morris, to you for joining us, and on sound this evening, Graham Martell. Until Sunday evening next at 7 on C103, from myself, John Green, have a safe and healthy week. Goodbye for now. felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.